This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Well, welcome to Reimagine Law. Uh, my name is Simon, and I'm here with uh, a number of exciting people to talk to you today, uh, one of whom is my collaborator on this series of podcasts, Fran. Uh, and we've got two other wonderful guests that we'll hear for a little more in a moment. This is episode number 17 of Reimagine Law, which are a series of podcasts designed to showcase the wonderful breadth of careers that you can have within the legal sector. All our podcasts, uh, uh, we always want to hear from those people who are in it, so are living careers um, uh, within the legal sector, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. So I'm delighted to have Sonal and to have Emma, uh, uh, who are our guests today, uh, and Fran will be chatting to them over the next uh, 20 minutes. So I'm looking forward to uh, uh, to hearing what uh, what you have to share. So Fran, over to you. Thanks. So we are joined by Sonal Dashani, who's a self-employed criminal barrister, called to the bar in 2002 and practising from 25 Bedford Row Chambers. Um, and also from Emma Makepeace, who's the Deputy Director of Clarking at 25 Bedford Row and part of a wider clerking team of 10 members of staff uh, at the Chambers. So thank you so much for both um, joining us on this podcast. Let's get started, Sonal. You are a barrister at the Independent Self-Employed bar. What does that mean? So as a uh, barrister, particularly in criminal law, you are primarily an advocate. So therefore you go to court to represent clients, either prosecuting or defending. Now being at the self-employed bar means just that, you are an independent barrister. So, But you usually work within a set of chambers alongside other barristers. Uh, you are not employed. Uh, crucially, therefore, and often um, not uh, positively, you do not get a regular wage or a salary, um, nor do you have a boss in the traditional sense of the word. Um, as part of your chambers, you will have a clerking team who are responsible for managing your day-to-day -day diary to help and build and maintain your practice. It doesn't mean you can do as you please, <laughs> really important to know, Far from it. At the self-employed bar, you are still bound by your core duties uh, as set out by the Bar Council and under the Bar Standards Board Handbook. Um, you are, however, as a self-employed barrister, ultimately in charge of and responsible for your own career, progression and building your practice. Yes, yeah, so, uh, a, lot, a lot to it then. <laughs> in terms of the day-to-day -day of a criminal barrister, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? The best thing about being a self-employed barrister is that every day is different. And so what you do on a daily basis will vary. So if you are conducting a trial, you'll go to court every day to do the trial. And therefore, for most part of that day, you might be doing advocacy. Lots of it. Where your trials are, however, will vary. So if you do crime, um, like I do, then in reality, you'll be traveling up and down the country. You basically go where your next case is. So you could be, for example, in Manchester one day and in Plymouth the next. That's a really usual part of being uh, at the bar. So one of the things that a self-employed barrister has to be able to do is learn the railway maps because you find you use the trains quite regularly. You will also do conferences with your clients and they can be in a variety of different settings, in chambers, in the offices of your instructing solicitors and also uh, in prisons if your clients are remanded in custody. You have to draft legal documents, so it might be uh, written arguments, it might be a document that's been directed by the court, 
But if you have to do that, usually there's a really strict timetable to adhere to. Um, so that the main part of being a, a barrister is all of those things. Um, but I would say that the other part of a barrister that I think often is missed out. So what I've set out there are your day-to-day roles and your duties. But you also have to be able to market your own brand. And I think this part of being a barrister is often sadly missed out and people don't understand how, how important it is that you do that element of it. You've got to build a network. You've then got to maintain the relationships in your network, give seminars, write articles, attend events as, as either suggested by your clerking team or because you've realized it will help your career progression. So I know I've said a lot, but there's a lot to it. This is all in, incorporating um, your role as a barrister. Fantastic. A lot more to it than perhaps the TV shows might give off at first glance then. Yeah. It's not all just wig and gown wearing, that's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. So, Emma, let's talk about clerking. What does a clerking team do in a set of chambers? Um, We're responsible for the management and administration of the set and of chambers in its entirety. So that includes business development, which is actively seeking new areas of work and new instructions in order to create cohesive practice teams, uh, creating business opportunities through your contacts and business relationships, and identifying growth areas in law and potential leads. Um, The overall management of the court and professional commitments of uh, diary commitments of all of your members, which includes liaising with solicitors who are our professional clients to allocate hearings and advisory work appropriately to the uh, correctly qualified and suitable counsel, Uh, maintaining and developing relationships with professional clients to ensure satisfaction and therefore repeat work. Um, and actively seeking new solicitors in all areas of work, including new areas of work, Um, managing the entire marketing process for the chambers and individuals, negotiating and agreeing all private fees, uh, attending social engagements to enhance your business relationships and also to enhance the chamber's profile, Um, and individual practice development, so meeting with your council to discuss their recent and future practice, areas of development, um, what's uh, appraisals really and offering assistance and support as appropriate to ensure that they're progressing in line with their experience. So it's a really collaborative relationship that I'm hearing from both of you here between the clerking team and, and the barristers. Um, let's, let's go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, how do the clerking team operate and run the set of chambers alongside the self-employed barristers? And, and, and ha- has this changed over time or is it the same now as it, as it perhaps was um, years ago? If I can go first, just dealing with the dynamics of the two different groups, it's really important to understand that it's a really unique dynamic. I don't think there's anything quite comparable because, as I said before, you're not employed. Your clerks are not your boss, but you have to work so closely with them in order to be uh, successful as a team. So as Emma set out, they're responsible for the day-to-day operational running of Chambers. They manage the diary. They make sure that everyone is where they need to be, when they need to be. They act as the conduit between council and their instructing solicitors. So they will arrange conferences. Emma will also deal with um, how the clerks deal with this on a day-to-day basis. 
but they're responsible for the working relationships and crucially maintaining them. It's not an easy task. There's so many different personalities. And so they have a tricky task of trying to marry up the personality of an instructing solicitor with a particular barrister with a particular case at any given time. And so you might get a clerk saying to me as counsel, right, I need you to do this particular case because it's for an important uh, solicitor in chambers, either because um, we've never used them or they've never used us before. So it's important, as you might imagine, that we give them the best experience that we're capable of giving. Now, that might result in me traveling to a court that's massively inconvenient or a case that, uh, which I do a lot anyway, separately, um, seem to like to travel. Um, it might be costly. It might not be the sort of case that you had in mind with your own um, ideas about progression of your career. But you have to trust this process and your working together will allow that to happen. Of course, you have to take responsibility. So there'll come a point when um, part of that team operation dynamic will be a counsel saying to their clerk, actually, I just I really want to specialise, um, for example, in fraud cases. I don't want to do more general crime anymore. And that's a conversation you will have together and try and progress your career in that way. But I think that the, the thing to remember the most is that it is a team. You are working as a team. And you have to remember that Chambers brand is um, as a whole, not as individuals, but you are definitely um, a, a brand as a whole. Yeah, that's a really different side to being self-employed than people might at first think when you hear that, that terminology. Emma, do you want to come in on that question about the collaboration? Well, you said, has it changed over time? And I was going to say that it really has changed over time in that TV series and books would have you believe that the clerk is in full control because ultimately they're the person dishing out the briefs. But it's really not the case. It's a mutually cohesive partnership. The clerks cannot secure future work that they are entirely reliant upon without the barristers being in a position to provide a really good service. Uh, this requires the clerk and the barrister to have a really clear understanding of capacity, expertise and above all expectation of everybody involved in the process. So the clerks, the clerk and the barrister are a partnership and then the whole of chambers are also a team, um, splitting either into smaller practice teams, but ultimately everybody working together to secure the best available work. That's really interesting um, about this idea of the team in terms of the whole set of chambers, as well as it being the individual barristers with the individual clerks. Um, just a another question, if we can move back to, to what we were saying before about this employed and self-employed aspect to the independent bar. Um, how does a self-employed barrister's role differ from that of an employed barrister? I know, Sonal, you touched upon it earlier. Um, uh, yes, Fran, I dealt with the fact that your fee structure is different insofar as you're not employed, so you don't get a regular wage. Uh, and the consequences of that mean, of course, you don't have a monthly salary. Uh, there's equally no uh, sick leave. There's no maternity leave. There's no pension. And I think for those listeners who are thinking about which way they want to go, they should think really long and hard. It's 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 lovely when you see people saying it doesn't matter. I've got the passion for the law, but actually the passion isn't going to get those bills paid. So you, you need to be aware that when when it's met when they say you don't get monthly salary, that's exactly what it means. So for example, as a self-employed barrister, I could do a six-week trial um, in Manchester incurring all of the costs as I do of my travel and, and the like, I won't get paid until that entire case is over. That doesn't mean at the end of that six weeks, 
often it can be several months before I get paid. If you are an employed barrister doing a similar case, you get your monthly salary regardless. Now, of course, the flip side of that is, as an uh, employed barrister, typically, not always, you might be able to negotiate a better contract, but typically your um, income is capped. You get your salary and that is it. As a self-employed barrister, what you work will reflect um, how much money you can earn. So there is the potential to earn uh, more money, um, which is sometimes um, helpful and some people like that. So lack of uh, financial security, but choice. And and that's, I think, the trade-off that you have to make. The biggest other difference, I think, is your um, choice and specialism. So as a self-employed barrister, I can make a decision, as I have done, that I want to specialise and I do in fraud cases. And if you are employed, unless your particular firm also specialises, you will be expected to do what they give you. So if they give you a wide range of cases, they will ask you to do all of it. So that element of choice is also something. And finally, your management of time. So as a self-employed barrister, if I choose to take August off because I have young children and I want to spend the summer holidays with them, I can do. I might not get paid for it but at least I have that option. I can't imagine many people in an employed setting being able to take four or five weeks off at one go. Really interesting to have that, the flip side of the two pointed out. And, you know, it's really important as well, if any of our listeners are making applications for them to be aware of these factors, you know, in in how they're drafting applications. Emma, did you want to come in on that question? Um, I think the personal and professional attributes play a really big part in this because if you are incredibly academic and actually you enjoy the structure and working daily with a team of people and uh, you don't have the drive to constantly market yourself against competition, and um, then I think the employed bar is actually a really brilliant option. Uh, the self-employed bar, you've got to relentlessly push yourself forward against other people. And also you need to adapt to get on with absolutely everybody, whether you find them, you know, however you find them, if you find them unpleasant, you don't like the way they go about their work, you don't find like they, they've got a good work ethic, you don't feel they prepare cases properly. You st- you have to be so conciliatory to ensure that you're getting um well, maintaining these relationships for yourself and your chambers. Um, I think, um, you know, there's a real dedication to being self-employed and uh, managing your own um, uh, professional relationships. And at the employed bar, that really you're just required to get on with your actual job. Um, I mean, this this theme of marketing and sort of the individual being their own business entity in terms of that marketing and, and then doing it collaboratively with the chambers is a theme that I'm hearing, um, you know, quite consistently from, from both of you. Um, let's go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, perhaps you could say something a little bit about who a barrister or chambers are marketing to and how in the last year that role of marketing and running the business of chambers, you know, making sure that the money comes in has differed. So mainly the marketing is to the professional client, the solicitors, or perhaps in-house counsel at banks or large organisations where they have legal teams. Um, Usually it's reliant upon uh, big dinners and um, going out for one-to-one meetings or client-specific events. So you take a certain amount of barristers uh, with you to uh, meet some solicitors that you so you're taking the barristers with the correct expertise to meet a certain group of solicitors so they can see how if they brief one person that actually 
you know, if there's a problem or somebody's not available, there's a backup within that group. So you're sort of selling a small team. Um, during COVID-19, everything obviously is turned upside down, including the marketing. So at 25 Bedford Row, we've been entirely reliant on digital marketing and communicating in, uh, separately with our established clients by telephone or Zoom barristers and clerks and we, we, you know on however you prefer but a kind of informal keeping in touch um we've in, we've conducted a series of webinars on topics related to covid and and court operations alongside any legislation changes as we normally would uh, we also utilize all forms of social media daily including twitter and linkedin providing our news and updates and um, noting our achievements, nominations, awards, that sort of thing, um, and then case updates and achievements and legal updates. So really, it's all gone online, which I have to say has been, because of the workload with COVID, it's actually been a really welcome change for most of us. And the digital, the education side of things, doing it digitally has worked absolutely fantastically for us. Um, because we're still managing to get 200 people to an event, but obviously there's no cost involved. And we're still pushing ourselves forward to be at the forefront of our business, yet the uh, what we're having to provide is so much less. So, yeah, we'll, some parts of it will definitely hold on to, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, these, this idea of legal updates and, you know, um, and putting things like that out um, to the public um, is presumably something that the legal team are also doing, you know, without necessarily getting paid for it, you know, another aspect of the marketing that happens. Um, Sonal, um, anything on, on marketing that you wanted to add to Emma's thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I agree with what Emma said. It, there's certainly been a change and COVID means you've necessarily have to adapt. Um, and I think the online forum does work better um, for um, educational events. For social events, it's hard. I think people are tired more generally. Everyone who uses Zoom realises by the end of the day, do you really want to have a social event over Zoom? It's not as uh, appealing. The one thing I would say is um, perhaps an aspect that your, your listeners may not be completely aware of is as a barrister, um, when you do a marketing event, you contribute towards the cost of those marketing events. So as a tenant in Chambers, I will pay a percentage of my fee into Chambers. Um, and then the percentage of that fee will pay for things like the your wages for your clerk, your building costs, etc. But there will also be a proportion of it that's dedicated to the market marketing. There might be additional costs. So, for example, if you have a standalone, as Emma said, a client-specific event, there may be an additional cost that may be uh, required to be paid as a one-off levy. So, again, just something worth bearing in mind that there are these additional, they're not hidden costs as such, but certainly costs that you should be aware of. Um, and it's important that you allocate these to, to be able to do the events that um, ultimately grow the business. Um, so at this point, what we often do is ask our guests to give a tip or a trick. And that's what we're going to do today. So do you have a tip or a trick that you would give to somebody who is starting out making applications, thinking of going to the self-employed independent bar? So my best tip, and I've thought um, about this question, is know who you are. because it's not just being about academic. It's not just being able to pass your exams. You really need to know who your um, what your personality is like. If you have the characteristics that will allow you to network, as Emma said, sometimes relentlessly, being sociable, being able to maintain relationships, then I think a self-employed bar route is one that you should be looking into. 
If you're not and you are either shy, it's no bad thing. It's just recognizing your own personalities. We're all different. That's what makes the human race great. But you have to recognize that actually, if you don't enjoy marketing, if you don't enjoy networking, then maybe you'd the comfort of being in an employed situation might work better for you. So my top tip would be to know who you are. And if you knowing who you are, you have the confidence to go to the self-employed bar, then be prepared to go the extra mile. That is it's so important. I can't say it enough. It isn't just doing your cases, doing them well. There's so much more. Be prepared to give that extra um, and ask yourself, are you resilient enough to do that? If the answer to that is yes, then absolutely. We welcome you to the self-employed bar with open arms. Um, Emma, what's your tip or trick for listeners? I think before interviewing at any set of chambers, you really need to scratch uh, beneath the surface of that set. Uh, What is that set really about? If you're looking at international criminal law, for example, use the website's facility to search. Search in it. See how many barristers are doing international criminal law. See what cases they're doing in international criminal law so you can really get a gauge of what the area of expertise that you're selling yourself into really means to that set. Yeah, I'm hearing here a lot of actually the themes that we've been covering on previous episodes. So for our listeners listening to episodes one and two, we're all about identifying your own values as an individual and then matching them to your career path. And I think both Sonal and Emma, that has formed part of your tip or trick that you've given today. Um, So that's brilliant. Thank you so much. All right. Action, Simon. What do you think we should set the listeners? There's so many. Yeah, Sonal and Emma, brilliant. I've been scribbling notes feverishly uh, um, with, with what you shared, trying to, to sum up so much. So I think what's really come through for me is that a Chambers is a business, you know, and, and that might seem like a really obvious thing to say, but I, I think, Emma, you've brought that to life really, really well. And Sonal, again, that, that kind of everything that's been involved in that. So it's a business, um, you know, and I, I think, you know, if you want to be a self-employed barrister, You've got to be a marketeer as well if you're going to do that successfully. You know, if you enjoy managing the idea of managing the running of a business, then clerking feels like an amazing career that you can have. I think today we've heard some brilliant examples of the breadth of kinds of careers and what you can be doing within the the, the, the legal sector, which is fantastic. And I think the other thing that really resonates with me, uh, listening to you both talking about, you know, being a self-employed barrister and, and clerking, is the interdependency that that is so key. Uh, You know, that collaboration, that working together is absolutely key. Uh, And that's such an important skill uh, 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 and behaviour for us to have in any aspect of our life. And and wow, is it important in in the running of a successful chambers is is what really comes across to me. So with that in mind, in terms of an action, and I'm going to link it to what essentially both Emma and John have both said, which is know who you are. Um, so I, I think a really interesting action might be, so if I was going to be a self-employed barrister, what are the pros and cons of that? If I was going to be an employed barrister, what's the pros and cons of that? And which of those feel more like me as a person um, that would be paying to my strengths and what, you know, what I would enjoy? And likewise, you know, the, the, that managing of a business, you know, that that idea of all the different things you have to do within clerking that Emma, you brought to life so so really well, you know, managing diaries and both the barristers, but also your solicitors and making sure you've got happy clients and the marketing and negotiating of fees and all those kinds of things. 
if that's something you really enjoy, that commerciality and that commercial side and managing all those different plates, then clerking could be an amazing career for you within the legal sector. So some pros and cons of those different uh, uh, um, uh, approaches, and not that one's better than the other, but it's about what's finding what is right for you as an individual, which is what this podcast series is all about. It's helping you understand all the different aspects uh, and then reflecting that through what you really enjoy and what your strengths are to help you find the right option for you we hope, within the legal sector, but in, in, in so many different ways that you could do that. So that would be me, Frank. Massive thank you, Tamara and Sonal, for bringing that to life so uh, so eloquently. I also wondered whether listeners as well, um, who perhaps are listening to this as their first episode, might want to go back to a previous episode that we recorded, um, which is called A Career as a Barrister, More Than You Might Assume, where, of course, our guest on that episode was an employed barrister. So that might really help with that pros and cons list that you talk about, Simon. Okay, so thanks ever so much for listening to this episode and thank you to Emma and Sonal for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love you to give us a like or to subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Um, And please do remember that we have a LinkedIn page, so feel free to follow us and feed any comments about the podcast back in via a direct message. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. (laughs) 